0: This is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the Weekly Top 3, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of April 25th, 2022. The Weekly Top 3 is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts both on Facebook Live and YouTube Live, as well as via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m., I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 625 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages, also on the Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site medium.com. We discuss SB 199, what some have called the cornerstone of a fiscal plan, but which we believe is substantially flawed. Second, as we enter the final three weeks of this year's legislative session, we discuss what the endgame is beginning to look like to some observers. Third, we discuss one factor elevating Alaska oil prices even over the benchmark for Brent over the past few weeks. And now, let's join Michael
1: going to start things off this morning by dissecting SB 199, which I, as I mentioned earlier, seems to be the vehicle of choice for the pro-government spend crowd in the legislature. Uh, You notice I'm not saying left or right or Democrat or Republican, because that's where the dividing line, it seems to be. It's the pro-private sector, protect the private sector crowd versus protecting the public sector crowd. And the public sector folks uh, are in love with this bill. They're seeing it as a way to end run around a lot of what the governor has been proposing while putting hooks and caveats into this into the years moving forward. I don't know exactly how we're getting away with this whole, um, you know, this uh, this caveated language where they they make everything contingent on something that's going to happen years down the road. But let's uh, get Brad Keithley's take on this. Good morning, Brad.
0: Morning, Michael. How are you doing today? You
1: know, not too bad. Um, so, I mean, I guess maybe can you comment on that before you dive into the meat of what you want to talk about? You know, we, we'd never seen this really before until about two years ago where they started hanging contingencies on all these different bills. Well, this bill will pass if something else happens in this session or next session or down the road or this is kind of the what if scenario. And and I think it's 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 reaching Paris, Parisly close on binding one legislature over to another. I don't know exactly how they're getting away with it, but do you have any comments on that before we jump into the meat of this?
0: Well, it's sort of a Burt special and, and it probably, probably predated Burt as well, but I noticed he's used this several times since, oh, 2008, 2009, 2010 when I first started following the legislature uh, very closely And it's sort of it's sort of how he does things. It doesn't bind future legislatures because, you know, you can enact it. It's a statute for one thing. You can enact it today, and and a future legislature can ignore it. Uh, You can uh, you can enact it today, and a future legislature can repeal it, or change it, or modify it. Um, It's more. It it is. It's sort of a statutory version, an attempt at a statutory version of it of of intent language. Um, right. we, we sort of hope that future legislatures will 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 do this uh, if we if we do that. But we're going to go ahead and do that, um, and uh, and we'll sort of we'll sort of count on future future legislatures to do something else. I mean, it, you can look at the PFD as the same sort of thing. PFD was passed in 1982. Legislature said uh, we hope that uh, uh, you know we, we're going to pass this statute. We intend for the statute to be followed. Uh, we expect future legislatures to follow it, and then future, and then beginning in 2016, 2017, the legislatures haven't followed it. But it's a it's a Burt deal. Uh, I, I've noticed it uh, mostly when uh, when he's uh, crafting language,
1: right? Somehow he gets involved, and all of a sudden it gets all these bells and whistles and hooks attached to it. It's it's uh, well, it's frustrating to me to watch. But I guess that's what it is. So let's anyway, let's talk about SB 199 um it is again the chosen vehicle this is the one they seem to be rolling with 50 50 the first year twenty-five seventy-five for the next four years until we discover 800 million in new revenue apparently uh and then it goes back to 50 50 but this thing's got to go to the floor and it's going to have to survive a lot of amendment processes to get through it what what are your what are your thoughts on this give me your give me your take on 199
0: Well, this is a bad bill. I mean, it's a, it's a, it it started out as a bad bill uh, uh, when it was first introduced. It was introduced as a, as a comparison piece to a Senate Bill 200, which had another approach to the PFD. um, And it stayed a bad bill all the way through. It says in the preamble that it's an implementation of the fiscal policy working group uh, recommendations, (laughs) but it is far from, it is far from that. The fiscal policy working group said, and this is in their conclusion, Fiscal Policy Working Group believes the legislature must pass a comprehensive solution. Fiscal Policy Working Group members do not support addressing only one or two issues to the exclusion of others. The Fiscal Policy Working Group believes addressing these issues as a comprehensive solution solves not only a fiscal challenge, but a political challenge as well. Well, this bill does not remotely touch on several of the pieces Uh, of the, uh, of the, that the work fiscal policy working group did. For example, it doesn't have a constitutional protection for the PFD. It doesn't include a spending cap. It doesn't include other things that the fiscal policy working group recommended. What it does do is cut the PFD uh, permanently, but, 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 or cut the PFD, but makes that contingent on coming up with some new revenues which is the, the new revenues part is consistent with what the fiscal policy working group said but the new revenues they want is far are far in excess of what's necessary to balance the budget if you use uh, POMV5050 so it is far from uh, a, a an implementation of the uh, of the fiscal policy uh, working group right it doesn't have all the plans it, ch- it cherry picks cherry picks pieces uh, uh, of the uh, of the plan the plan that, as you say, the pro-government spenders uh, uh, find to their advantage, and then it leaves behind uh, all of the pieces that uh, that that others found important uh, in crafting a full fiscal policy uh, uh, solution.
1: Right. And again, picking picking the pieces, this is exactly what the Fiscal Policy Working Group warned about. Uh, it wasn't just the PFD. It wasn't just new revenues. It wasn't just c- cuts in spending and a spending limit. I mean, these are those were all things that were part and parcel of it. And they picked like two out, like we're going to take the PFD and we're going to take new revenues. And even like you said, the $800 million in revenues that, that they're asking for, uh, I think the number that came out of the fiscal policy working group was somewhere around $200 million that they talked about in new revenues, plus some cuts, plus some new oil taxes. I mean, it was kind of a whole, you know, the 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 all around approach was uh, was a little broader than what they've got here
0: well the fiscal policy working group talked about 5 to 700 million dollars in new revenues offset by uh roughly 200 million dollars in spending cuts uh, uh developed over uh as the as the fiscal policy working group said developed over multiple years so a net a net of somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 to 500 million dollars between the new revenues and the in uh, the spending cuts um, this talks about $800 million in new revenue. I mean, it picks a number that's not even in the Fiscal Policy Working Group recommendation. Uh, it talks about $800 million, doesn't talk about spending cuts, so it's a net of $800 million. The analysis we've done of, of POMV 5050 shows that over the 10 years, using current uh, uh, oil market futures, the current futures prices, what people are in putting money on uh, uh, to an uh, expectation of what the prices are gonna be in the future, adjusting spending for, for current inflation rates, which are higher than, uh, than the administration used to net. So we're, we're getting spending up to, to reflect uh, what the expectations of our, our inflation. POMV 50, making those adjustments, POMV 5050 shows a net surplus between now and, and FY30, a net surplus uh, a net uh, uh, a budget surplus of2.4 billion dollars. So if you look at it over the eight year period, you don't need any additional revenues to implement uh, POMB 5050. Even in the last year, even in, in, in FY 30, the net deficit of POMB 5050 is400 million dollars. So even if you're looking at this bill and, and this bill implements the $800 million dollars in two years. So you're, you're, you' know you're running up surpluses, uh, uh, on top of surpluses uh, uh, in the in the early years, but even if you look at this bill as trying to set the revenue requirement, trying to trying to establish the revenues needed in by FY thirty, by using uh, uh, POMB fifty fifty, you're still double uh, the revenues they need. So what you know the, the way I view what they're doing with this revenue with this revenue requirement is sort of an exit fee. You get out of the jail uh, POMB twenty five seventy five. Uh, if you pay this $800 million exit fee, but the exit fee is, is far in excess of what's required. So, you know, I would even oppose that exit fee uh, because it's just way too much. You're putting way too, you're draining way too much out right. of, the, out of the, the private sector and putting way too much uh, in government. You're creating government surpluses on, on top of well, surpluses. And so I, I view this exit fee as more a, a, a poison pill, if you will. That, that they're they're sort of you know they're doing POMB twenty five will tell you that you know we've got this intent to go to POMV fifty fifty at some point in the future, but the price we're going to put on how you get to POMV fifty fifty is so high that you'll never enact it. So right. so guess yeah. what we win we get the POMV twenty five seventy five in perpetuity because under the bill if you don't if you don't have those additional revenues. By the end of twenty four, I think it is twenty twenty four. Then you never go back to POMB 50. Right. The, the The bill locks in at POMB twenty five seventy five. So it's a it it is, it's disingenuous right. to say that this bill is an implementation of the of the fiscal policy working group, and it's disingenuous to say that this bill really sets up going back to POMB fifty fifty because it. Puts in a poison pill that you'll never exercise.
1: Well, and it has the added benefit, again, of feeding into this false narrative that the uh, a lot of the pro spend, uh, pro government uh, folks have got that basically says, oh, do you want to trade a, a tax for your PFD? Because again, that's what they're tying it all to. They're tying it all to these new forms of revenue, which is, of course, the assumption is it will be some form of taxation. And so that's that's the thing. It feeds right back into that narrative of do you want to do you want a tax or do you want a PFD? And that's kind of uh, it's helping feed that whole thing.
0: It is, and it's. Um, I, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the show, even at POM. Certainly at the statutory PFD, even at POMB fifty fifty by the late twenty twenties and by FY twenty thirty, uh, you, you're running deficits. You you do need alternate revenues in order to avoid uh, PFD cuts uh, in those years. So, it 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 is it is. Um, it, it is, it is correct in the same way that the fiscal policy working group talked about it. If you're going to have a PFD of a certain size, you're going to need alternate revenues to fill in the, to fill in the gaps. But because they're, because they put this $800 million price tag on it, uh, they they made it seem like you have to enact so much in new taxes that, you know, that you'd never, you would never want to, you'd never be able successful in, uh, in being able to pass those to uh, to uh, sustain the sustain the PFD again from the from my old corporate lawyer days this is this is the equivalent of a poison pill you put in a provision that you know no one will ever pursue. Uh, because it's just, you know, it's, it's right. It's a ridiculous provision.
1: Well, and the bottom line is, is that it's really toothless in the long run. Like you said, disingenuous, because again, this is all statutory. They could say this this year they could pass. And then next year they could go, well, you know, we thought that. But of course, circumstances have changed. And so now we've decided we can't do that after all, because and since it's a statute, we can do whatever the hell we want. I mean, that's really the whole that's the bottom line disingenuousness of it
0: yeah it's a it's a it's a fig leaf i'm i am really surprised to tell you the honest gosh truth i am really surprised uh at how peter michecki was quoted on this bill uh in the adn article uh it starts out says uh senate president peter michecki said a vote could take place as soon as next week it is very important depending upon any amendments that happen in this bill this is the cornerstone of a fiscal plan well if this is the cornerstone of a fiscal plan that he has in mind. I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. Macheki and I are on this um, on the same right. wavelength. It's it's the cornerstone <laughs> of a fiscal plan that uh, that that, as you say, uh, secures uh, revenues for for those who want to right. not only continue. I mean, this doesn't only continue government spending this 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 expands and encourages resources right. for, yeah. for government spending by by substantial amounts
1: yeah absolutely it's like your cornerstone is built uh, a big uh, four thousand square foot mcmansion on the edge of the beach with the sand washing away underneath that's the kind of foundation we're talking about here i read the same thing when as i was reading this article in the adn about the new formula and everything and the comments from machiki on this is it, you know somehow this is what we've been looking for. This is, this is the answer. This is the solution. Um, and the problem is, of course, is that the solution has come across the floor several times in the last couple of years. We could have just committed to something. We could have just committed to the full PFD. We could have committed to uh, fighting and working towards a constitutional amendment for the PFD. I mean, there's been several other things. This seems like a pretty flimsy thing for the Senate president to want to hang his hat on.
0: Yeah, it's 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 almost, Michael, it's almost like I want to claim victory over something. You know, it's, it's almost like the George Bush appearance uh, on the aircraft carrier saying, you know, <laughs> mission accomplished. Right. Uh, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Doesn't seem to really matter what the heck the what, what the heck the bill says It's I just want to claim victory. I want to claim that, you know, while I was Senate president, I accomplished uh, a fiscal solution. But it's a horrible, it's a horrible solution. I mean, uh, POMV 2575 produces a $10 billion surplus over the eight years between FY23 and FY30. It drains out of the Alaska private sector economy. $10 billion shifts that over to, uh, shifts that over to, uh, over to government. That's more than a billion dollars a year on average. In, uh, in in the transfer of money in the private sector over to uh, over to uh, the government sector it's a horrible bill and 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 there's no need for it um uh, given the projections that we now have on oil prices even given the projections we have on inflation there's no need for it but it's just i want to declare victory i want to say we got this accomplished Right. So, right. Yeah, I I I don't know what I don't know what Peter's doing, but it's not it's not it's not something I would have suggested he do. Uh
1: about 2 minutes here before we rejoin. So let you know, let's you know, let me slide you into the shoes of some of these legislators. Give me your thoughts on maybe the mindset of the process. As you said, we've got a projected surplus. We could pay the 50-50, no problem. I mean, not the statutory because that creates other problems, but if it's 50-50, at least they could pay that with no problem. Still have monies left over and, and and moving on. What I mean, what is the thought process here? Is it just we need to protect ten years down the road, or we need to make sure the government always has their hand in the till, or what is the what? What do you think?
0: I think it's a couple of things. One is I think there is a concern about oil prices going back down. I mean, we've had a history of oil prices going up, oil prices going back down. And I think there's a concern about oil prices going back down, and they don't want to, and they and they want to build up some cushion, and they don't want to get locked into what they think are uh, are, are unreasonable uh, uh, financial commitments uh, if oil prices go back down. I think the other thing that's going on is is Frank, and this sort of is from the Natasha standpoint. It's frankly, we've come to a moment in time where maybe we can kill the PFD, uh, or at least get it down to the minimus levels, like 25, 75 we've come to that moment in time let's not let that get away from us let's continue the rhetoric let's continue the arguments that we've been using up to this point regardless of what's happened to oil prices let's get the pfd taken out right and i think i think to some degree natasha uh, and others uh, of, of that mindset uh, that's where they're going so it's a combination of it's a combination of those two concern that oil prices may not you know, leg- may not play out the way the futures market says they're going to play out, and so we got to be careful. Plus, you know, the, the 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 desire of some to go ahead and kill the PFD, even even if the facts don't support it anymore. Right.
1: Um, all right. Well, let's move on to number two, uh, Brad. Uh, give me a tease here, and we'll come back to it. We're going to discuss what is the
0: end game, right? Give me a give me a quick tease. So, Tim Bradner has, has an article in uh, the. Fairbanks or in the, uh, excuse me, the Natsu frontiersman, uh, that, uh, that's a pretty good summation of, of where, uh, he sees this legislature, uh, coming out, uh, within the three, in, in the three weeks that they have left. And it excludes some things that I've been concerned about, uh, that I find uh, comforting that, uh, are not in his list. Um, uh, but, uh, it, ha- it has some things that that, uh, that I want to talk about uh, as 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 we wind down these three weeks.
1: We're talking with uh, Brad Lee from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're talking about the weekly top three. We just kind of went in through SB199, and we got a quick tease on the end game for this session. Uh, Brad was talking about an article in the Frontiersman lining out some of those ideas. All right, Brad, so give us your thoughts on what the end game is for the end of this session.
0: Well, Tim Bradner has a good uh, has a good piece on, on where he thinks what he thinks uh, uh, legislative, legislatively is going to survive uh, uh, or legislatively be accomplished over the remaining three weeks of the session. Um, bills that are in one, one, one body have not yet crossed over to the other body uh, are uh, uh, are going are going to be you know headed upwind uh, fighting headwinds to uh, to try to get passed. not say it's it's not to say it's impossible but uh uh if it took you this far into the session to get it out of one body crossing over into the other body and then the hearings that have to go on the committee hearings committee assignments committee hearings that have to go on uh before it gets back to the uh gets back to the to the other body gets up to the other body uh is a is a fairly strong headwind the two things i've been focused on are the are the from a fiscal standpoint uh are the uh uh, the retire the 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 defined benefits uh, proposal uh, that's come out of House Finance has passed the has passed the House and crossed over into the Senate, um, and in defined benefits for you know firemen and police and others, uh, first responders essentially. But really, that's just the crack in the door to open it for uh, other government employees. Uh, teachers will quickly be behind it, and others behind uh, others behind that. Um, and then the uh, and then and then there's another uh, fiscal bill that uh, that I've been uh, concerned about uh, as well the uh, BSA adjustment that would adjust the BSA permanently going forward. Um, those, in, interestingly, those aren't on Tim's list as the, as what he sees uh, likely getting out of the legislature uh, by the uh, by the end of the session. Uh, that means that he's expecting some headwind, some slowdown when it hits the Senate. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a good thing. I think those, I think the house, it, those have been messaging bills by the house members to sort of show that, you know, they're prepared to go forward with all this spending, all this additional spending, new spending, layering on new spending on top of, uh, on top of old spending. Uh, I think it's a good sign that maybe the Senate wants to, wants to slow that down a little bit. There's also maybe the Senate is protecting the governor a little bit. Those are two bills that I would that I would think uh, would get uh, veto consideration uh, if they came up to the governor again because we don't have a long term fiscal plan in place. Right. Um, and, and and why are we committing to additional spending because we don't have we haven't settled the revenues issue um, and maybe the Senate's protecting the governor a little bit. But but it, it was encourage, It's encouraging to me to see that uh, those didn't uh, those didn't make Tim's list. The other article that I think is. Uh, worthy of mention in this is uh revenue commissioner lucinda mahoney had an op-ed piece uh in the adn and uh, and elsewhere talking about uh you know the, the the from the fiscal standpoint that this is alaska's opportunity to to get things done and 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 i guess i view it as sort of the administration's final pitch before we get into these last three weeks of what uh of what the administration would like, but it's just a rehash of the of the old stuff, which is you know spending caps, constitutionalization of the PFD, constitutionalization of the POMB draw, moving the CBR into the into the um, PFD, or moving the earnings rather into the into the permanent fund, so uh, you sort of lock away uh, money that way. Things that the governor has proposed in the past that really haven't gone anywhere in right. either body, right? Uh, uh, this this session. <laughs> Excuse me. so it's sort of a i mean if that's the governor's final if that's the administration's final pitch on the uh on the fiscal front uh it's a pretty weak one uh and sort of makes you wonder you know what the hell do, 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 what they think is is really accomplishable or if if like the house maybe one second or if like the house maybe um they're just going into messaging mode now. Right. We're just going to say this is. Uh, well, this, th- these are the, mess- the fiscal messages we want.
1: Well, I got to say that one of the things that uh, that really startled me about this article that was uh, that was apparent in here is that uh, she says uh, now is the time to convert the Alaska Permanent Fund to a true endowment fund, and constitutionally, limp- the change to the endowment will protect the permanent fund for future. I mean, it, it, I get really nervous when they start talking about changing the whole endowment thing. And maybe that's—is that the cover that they're talking about for putting it in the Constitution? Is to call it an endowment fund instead? I mean, instead of calling it a dividend, now it's going to be an endowment. I mean, it, it kind of changes the whole shape of it.
0: No, she, I think she—I think that part's talking. I don't think that's talking about the PFD. I think that's talking about
1: the fund itself
0: moving right. the. The, the earnings reserve into the PFD, which right. is a part of the governor's, or uh, the earnings reserve into the permanent fund, which is a part of the governor's uh, governor's proposal. Basically, it's a it's a backward spending cap, right? If you take money out of the earnings reserve and the and the and the legislature do, can't go get it as a as a spending supplement or as a revenue supplement, then you somehow right. help cap uh, their ability to spend, right? So By burning- I think that's. <clears throat>
1: by moving the earnings reserve into the corpus and zeroing it out, essentially the only monies deposited in there every year would be the earnings of that year. And so they couldn't, de- they couldn't dig deeper into it is what you're saying.
0: Right, Right. There would, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be a savings account that they could go draw on. Right. There is one other, there is one other thing in Tim Bradner's uh, piece that I found, you know, understandable, but I found it disturbing. Uh, Tim's got his got his fingers on the pulse of the legislature and a he, he, he has for a long, long time. Uh, and and is really a good source to go to when you're trying to figure out what the legislature truly is thinking. And he's got two paragraphs in here. There's little talk of this year of a full dividend or one paid according to a formula in the 19 in a 1980s era statute that is now considered obsolete. If a full dividend were paid this year, it would be over four thousand dollars, according to estimates of the legislative finance division. With oil prices currently over $100 a barrel, that could be afforded this year, Right. the finance division has told legislative committees, but it would leave less money for a long list of urgent needs, such as $600 million needed next year to start the reconstruction of Anchorage's port, which is badly corroded and in danger of falling. The, the phrase that, that really, I think, got my attention was paid according to a formula in a 1980s era statute that is now considered obsolete. I don't consider it obsolete uh right but, but you know tim as i say has his finger on the pulse of uh of of a lot of legislators and uh, and and i suspect that's repli- that's that's reflecting what uh, what he's hearing from uh, from legislators
1: okay we got about four and a half minutes here so final thoughts uh on the wind down here on number two we'll give a chance to give a number three tease before we go to the break but uh final thoughts on the end game for this legislature
0: I think the end game is they'll get some more bills passed, but it doesn't, at least according to Tim's article, it doesn't look like it's going to be the fiscal bills that have concerned me. Um, The administration seems like they're, you know, they've laid out their agenda for the end game, which is sort of nothing, which is sort of, you know, do what you haven't done, (laughs) continue, let us continue talking about the things that you haven't done uh, and aren't going to do uh, in these final three weeks. And, you know, and, and we'll use that as our campaign theme.
1: Right. And I think that's it. I think a lot of these people want to get out and get on the trail because now it's the time. So many of these other bills may fall by the wayside. Once they get the PFD and the, and the budget bills out, that'll pretty much be the end of it at this point.
0: Yeah. One thing to look out for is, is Burt's strategy. I mean, remember last year Bert held the bills right until the very end in order to put pressure on everybody, uh, to, uh, to, uh, 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 get, uh, get out uh, uh, in order to pass what his version of what he wanted before they could go home uh, and Bill and Burt still hasn't released the operating budget nor the capital budget out of Senate finance. The only thing that's come out is the PFD bill. Right. So one, one thing to look for is whether Burt starts on his, uh, on his strategy move of putting everybody in a corner again.
1: Yeah. We'll be watching for that. All right. Uh, got about two minutes here. Uh, give us a quick tease for number three, uh, and maybe just a thumbnail, and that, of course, is the discussion on what is driving Alaskan oil prices right now, uh, and this includes uh, an Alaska Journal of Commerce article from Elwood Bremer.
0: Elwood does a great job, I think, of of ferreting out uh, what's going on with Alaska oil prices compared to Brent prices. Now, we know generally what's pushing oil prices up and uh, and what's uh, controlling oil prices, but Alaska prices have separated from Brent prices in the last few weeks, uh, and Alaska is now commanding a premium uh, over Brent, which is important because every every dollar contributes you know eighty million dollars additional in revenue to the state. So if we're running ahead of Brent, we're running ahead of the market. Uh, we're uh, we're 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 you know we're we're in a better position than. Uh, than, than where we usually are, which is tied to Brent or a discount to Brent. Somehow. Right. And Elwood's article does, does an excellent job outlining what that is.
1: All right, Brad, expand on that a little bit. I mean, again, uh, we're seeing Alaska. Normally the ANS uh, crude normally trails behind Brent. Um, and, uh, and now we're, I think at one point it was $9 difference between uh, Brent and, and, uh, and, and uh, ANS or, <clears throat> and so, uh, that's a, you know, again, uh, we're, we can make hay while the sun shines. If we got the, uh, if we've got the foresight to, to see it and make it work.
0: Usually a trades at a, at a discount to Brent, uh, over the past few years. Uh, at one point it was tied, uh, long ago in the past, it was t- tied to WTI, West Texas Intermediate, the U.S. uh, uh, oil price. And then, uh, once we were able to trade, uh, sell a s uh, overseas, uh, it got tied to Brent and has been has been, you know, one or two or three dollar discount to Brent over time since um, since the Ukraine, though, uh, it has gradually uh, increased. Uh, the, the, the discount to Brent has 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 narrowed. And in the past few weeks, a uh, and has exceeded uh, Brent. And what's going on, evidently, according to this excellent article by Elwood, what's going on is that as Russian crude has been taken off uh, and is no longer uh, being coming into the U.S. West Coast. Uh, ANS is being is being pursued now by West Coast refineries um, as the preferred alternative or as the next best alternative to Russian uh, crude. And because of that increased demand for it, not only the demand for ANS as, as it existed before, but but now as a substitute for Russian crude, uh, as that as that demand has increased, the price has increased. Um, if that's true, if that's what's going on, uh, that should that should last uh, for uh, a fairly long period, as long as uh, as long as Russian crude is locked down, prevented from being imported, um, and and perhaps until maybe there's another uh, uh, next best developed uh, Guyana crude or other crudes that are. That are coming on the market, but that sort of that sort of premium is significant to oil price nerds because it, it tells you that when you look at Brent numbers, uh, you've got to add a little, as opposed to subtracting a little bit as we've done uh, in the past uh, few years. You got to add a little bit, and uh, and if that if that difference is persistent, that means more revenues uh, for the state going forward the 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 state's forecast is is a brent forecast it's 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 the brent price right um, and so you're always uh, you're always thinking okay it's a little bit off we're going to be a little bit off that because of the discount now if this if this development is persistent we're going to be thinking oh it's a little bit above uh, that forecast price because of the premium that ans is going to is going to command over brent
1: well, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see. And, of course, it's always the crystal ball effect. We, don't, we can't say exactly how, but now that the United States has basically outlawed all Russian energy imports and it's been concurred with by Congress uh, until essentially, I don't know, Russia completely pulls back within their borders, they disarm. I mean, there's, there's a variety of factors there, but effectively it's the lockdown until a president says no more. Um, so it is this way, at least for the foreseeable future. And we're making up for a significant uh, a deficit on the West Coast. I think Bremer says something like 50 million barrels of Russian crude compared to normally 30 million in ANS. So we've got a hole to fill. And if it's coming in at a premium, we've got a chance to make some money.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And, <clears throat> and we have occasionally over the past few years, I track this fairly closely and do a chart on Sundays that, that, that show the destination of the, of the ANS for that week, uh, or for that month, rather. Um, and we've had a situation over the past few months where a, a cargo or two of ANS has gone to Asia, has gone to China uh, on a fairly regular basis. And, and what's been going on is COVID, COVID shut down the, the, the West Coast market for a while, as it's gradually come back, it's not come back to the levels it used to be. So we've had sort of surplus ANS, if you will, that, that we've sent over to China uh, to be absorbed there. So what's going on now is it looks like that ANS is being pulled back to the to the West Coast. And as you say, pulled back at a premium uh, over, uh, over Russian crude. And that's, as I say, to oil price nerds. Uh, that's a that's a significant development and one that needs to be factored in in the projections going forward
1: what are you watching for are you watching for the discussion on 199 on the floor this week or what are you expecting
0: to be watching i am i'm going to be watching closely the the, the discussion on 199 i I'm, I'm prepared to be surprised at some disappointed at some senators and surprised at others
1: well i think it's interesting because again this bill did not have a guaranteed number of votes to pass on the floor when it came out which is unusual and that means that there's certainly going to be some fighting on the floor as to the various uh, uh, amendments that we may see on this. And we might. Who knows? We might be that somebody might be able to uh, hijack this bill and do something good with it. But I'm going to hold my breath and uh, uh, see what we can come up with. It's already been quoted. Tom Beggett just said they may reduce the amount. They may do all different kinds of stuff. Are you going to like live tweet or anything as you watch this? Or are you just going to be following along and then comment afterwards?
0: Well, there will be. Uh, I'm sure I'll have uh, have uh, posts uh, about SB 199, 199 as it goes uh, as it goes along. I've had several posts uh, already uh, since uh, the Senate Finance passed it on Thursday. So follow uh, follow uh, 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 Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets either on uh, Facebook or on Twitter uh, if you wanna wanna see our uh, our thoughts on the on the bill as it as it progresses. Brad Keithley, thank you so much, my friend.
1: As always, it's a pleasure to speak with you and we will look forward to seeing what you have to say next week.
0: Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Substack pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter.